You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Tomb of Dracula, episode 4B, covering the period of Tomb of Dracula from 1976 to 1977. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Tomb of Dracula co-host, Josh Tan. Josh, what are we talking about specifically today? All right, so this is the second half of the Tomb of Dracula Complete Collection Volume 4. Uh, we're picking up where we left off last time with Tomb of Dracula Issue 45 through Issue 54. So it's the basically the second half of the collection. And we are going in a completely opposite direction than we had in the last episode. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, so, okay, if you listen to the last Tomb of Dracula episode, episode 4A, we, we covered a big, long story that was the end of the Doctor Sun epic, you know, whatever you want to call it, the multi-part story. It was... It was uh, long and drawn out, and they finally <laughs> kind of got to the end where where Dr. Sun has been defeated. And now we have something completely different. Yep, they, it, it was surprising jumping into these issues how a complete left-hand turn they took. I, I say they, but I mean, you know, Marv Wolfman is doing a lot of these, laying down these subplots and everything else as he's doing this writing. And I mean, yeah, it's a totally, it almost feels like a totally different vibe. And obviously we'll be discussing that as we get going. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how different it is for sure. It's different, I think, for two big reasons. One is that Dracula actually kind of takes a back seat to a lot of the action. He still is there, and he still fights like the Silver Surfer of, of all people. Um, but uh, <laughs> but the other thing is that Blade. A lot of these issues are heavily focused around Blade. If they're going to ever do a Blade epic collection, these issues mm-hmm. have to be in there, or at least mm-hmm. the the subplots. And you could remove the Dracula portions of these issues and have a complete Blade story that doesn't need any sort of other explanation about what's happening in the other half of the book. That is true. And a lot of times I noticed with the subplot pages... Uh, sometimes he just throws in a page in the middle and it, it doesn't even connect to anything else. And it's, um, yeah, it's almost like you could take that right out of the issue and still know what's going on. So the Blade storyline, for sure, that, I mean, this runs for about four or five issues here. Yeah, same thing. I mean, it's, uh, I, 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 well, again, we'll talk about it, but I found it interesting and we'll get into the details. Yeah, I think uh, I think it'll be a very interesting conversation because it's just and it's all over the map. Just the the types of stories that are being told here doesn't even really feel like Dracula anymore. It doesn't feel like what we've been reading. Like I I feel the series, and I'm not going to make any uh, hard uh, you know not accusations, but uh, I'm not going to make any final word on my thoughts and feelings on this series. As people already know, we we are reading this for the first time as we do these podcasts, and we right. don't look ahead. Um, but I do feel like the 
first 30 odd issues pretty solid aside from those giant sized tomb of draculas which were very <laughs> wonky and uh i think put on the spinner racks for for a, a cash grab yeah. uh, i appreciate the changes that we're getting into to keep the story going keep the soap opera going here but it it does really feel like we're on the back half like it feels like we're on a totally a tonally different uh type of series I think one of the biggest reasons for that for me is that this is the most Marvel universe of all of mm -hmm. the stuff that we've read so far. Mm -hmm. And it really feels like we've dropped the whole gothic horror style of storytelling and we've gotten way more into the regular, especially in the, in the 70s, Marvel universe type of storytelling. That and I, I'm curious if there was a mandate to get more guest stars into this title you know we're into we're getting into the later 70s i know a lot of the marvel monsters struck hard in the early 70s and yep. then you know this was of course their longest running of their of their horror comics but um i don't know i wonder if they were like you know let's get some more of these superheroes in clearly they must have really been uh well i'm sure they were always marvel's bread and butter but you know like you mentioned we see silver surfer in here i mean that that's crazy <laughs> it's <laughs> never, absolutely nuts never would have expected that so yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious about that on the back end. If if there was, well, you can keep writing your Dracula stories, but guess what? You got to put him in here. So strange. Like the other ones make sense. Son of Satan. I have no issue with that, him being there. No, I I love that he was in there. And even Doctor, Doctor strange, strange makes sense. Yeah, uh, but it does. Silver Surfer. It's like who's next? Is Dracula <laughs> gonna fight Galactus? <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe he he goes gets takes a bite out of Aunt May. There, there you go. <laughs> She has enough health problems as it is. Right. Oh, boy. Okay, well, you know, I think we should just kind of get with it and get to the story here. So we're going sure. to start with Tomb of Dracula number 45, and this one is called Crossfire. And uh, if you remember from last time, we left off with a Doctor Strange two-parter that left Dracula dead. This is that's actually the second time that he died in, in like ten issues because he Doctor Sun, or he died mm -hmm. at, at in the Doctor Sun storyline as well. But he's dead now, and so the cover prominently features Blade the Vampire Slayer versus Hannibal King the Vampire Detective, and they had to stick Dracula on the cover there somewhere, so he's kind of faded in the background. But this really is a Blade story. It's mm -hmm. called Crossfire. And so Blade and Hannibal King meet up, then they find out that they're both tracking the same guy. It's Deacon Frost, whom we've met before in earlier issues of Tomb of Dracula. Deacon Frost is the guy who killed um, Blade's mother, and, and he's also the guy who turned Hannibal King into the vampire that he is. So they are both after him, and they spend the entire issue kind of tracking down one of his henchmen that or one of his new vampires, who lets them know that Deacon Frost has made a doppelganger, a double of Blade. Don't know what that means at this point, but there you go. That's the big shocker reveal. Um, the other part of this issue deals with a, a new adversary. It's a satanic cult that kind of calls out to, they, I guess they're calling out to Satan, but it, the person who mm -hmm. responds to that is Dracula. And so they kind of make him the the lord of their dark church. And he's going to wed this woman that they are like doing some sort of ritual where she's hanging upside down on a crucifix and being covered in oil or something like that. It's just bizarre stuff. 
But this sets the stage for the rest of this book because we are going to deal with a big long story about Dracula getting married to this woman and being a part the kind of the unofficial leader of this um, demonic cult. Yes, uh, that that informs us all the way through to issue 54, the the this entire episode that is the main storyline yeah um, in fact both of these yeah. are the main storylines the the battle with deacon frost yeah. with blade that, that also takes us to the end of this book true. as well yep and the uh the idea of this satanic cult um you know it never is given like any sort of an official name or term it's just you know you're kind of what you would expect i suppose you could say and they operate out of a church that already uh you know what is it like an abandoned church yep. is where they they host this um and that that part where uh, the, the woman whose name is Domini, she is upside down, but she's upside down on an upside down crucifix. Right. So obviously, you know, with that being the the uh, the, the sign of Satan or, yeah, or the Satan imagery evil. there. Yeah. Yep. What I found interesting was, and I know we've all along been reading you know, this. This is a darker book overall. Early on, I was keeping a kill count and then lost track because there was so much killing. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it felt, I don't know, it felt a little disturbing going into this dark church and, and satanic cult and ritual stuff. It was um, not in a bad way, uh, but it was uh, it was an interesting turn. And the fact that uh, Dracula is basically posing as he wants them all to think that he is their dark lord. He has plans for it himself. And we'll, of course, be talking a lot more as that goes along. But uh, we were dealing a lot with, with this Dr. Sun, who was a brain in a fish tank, and it felt a little bit more you know on the sci-fi realm but now this feels more hammer horror or uh kind of that true kind of dark horror that probably they were doing more in the black and white magazines and stuff like that at the time i also think that's kind of a sign of the era that we're in you mentioned hammer horror mm-hmm. and you know building that that up through the 70s and and all of the type of horror movies that came out of the 70s like this sure. is kind of right up that alley there. Yep. What did you think of the uh the uh the Doctor Strange Dracula ending being uh all for for nothing? <laughs> well, <laughs> I knew it would be like there's no way that either of them could be dead and they retconned the the Doctor Strange death right away and they retconned the, the right. Dracula death right away as well. They, I didn't have a problem with that because we knew that that was just a stunt anyway. Sure. And if I was like just a Doctor Strange reader at the time and not reading Tomb of Dracula, I would have just assumed, oh, okay, cool. Doctor like I think that's why that Doctor Strange two parter was so awesome because it's like wow he killed Dracula at the end I would have been just happy as a clam but then you know we have this uh, you know oh no it was just a deception I had to make sure he didn't think that uh, I was alive yeah that's the thing is uh, I mean he's the title character of the book obviously he's not going to die I did want to make mention uh, the the way the book starts out it's Blade and Hannibal King classic it doesn't get any more classic Marvel team up than this when these two characters of course have to start out by fighting yeah and uh and then they're like oh okay i guess i guess we could be uh, on the same side here reluctantly on the same side (laughs) exactly i I never get tired of that that's just such a (laughs) such a part of what marvel comics is all about yep um there was on page 304 another reference to the black and white magazine dracula lives this Mm -hmm. one was dracula lives issue nine which they make a little editor's note with a mysterious older lady that clearly has a history with dracula so eh, it's kind of interesting that this main series which everybody knows we've been skipping the black and white magazines it does make me want to get into those (laughs) yeah well especially because they dive deeper into dracula's own history in some flashbacks in these issues Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about and it's like yeah let's let's talk a little bit more about him because uh 
Especially now that we're at this point where he gets a little, I don't know, stunted as a as a character through these issues. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah. yeah, I could use something different, seeing him in a different time, acting a little differently, reflecting on the eras of whatever whatever story they're trying mm-hmm. to tell. That would be nice. I think that would be really yeah. good. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, again, this book has worked because, you know, Marv Wolfman packed it so full of other people. You know, you know, our main cast of characters really is this vampire hunting crew, but, you know, they're not the title of the book. Speaking of which, we have a little bit more on page 305 of the Frank Drake, uh, Rachel Van Helsing relationship stuff. That's kind of been a little bit of a simmer, but it, it goes into a full boil here shortly, which I'll I'll make note of that when we get a little bit closer there. Yeah, they've got this Ross and Rachel type of on and off again type yeah. of thing going on. And it's like just uh, the problem with these characters is through this through the last half of the book and through this half of the book they just kind of walk around and don't amount to much and it's like yes i don't don't care about them anymore i used to really be invested in their stories but they there's no there's no focus on any of the characters here they all kind of take the backseat to each other's stories which is weird well, and I like the fact that it, it the, instead it's like, okay, here's the focus on on Blade. You know, we still have Harold H. Harold hanging around, but yeah. he doesn't annoy me anymore because he's not taking he up do five anything, pages. Yeah. <laughs> he does <laughs> nothing in these issues. Uh, Blade is in and out of this book, and it's nice to see, okay, let's focus on him. You know, we'll yeah. certainly talk where this Deacon Frost story is going, and, you know, we'll we'll get into our opinions when we get there. But um, I do like that. All right, well, let's let's jump to him for a while because, yeah, the, the Rachel and, uh, and Frank stuff is, quite honestly, it's kind of boring now at this point there's also a picture of jesus in this church here yes an oil painting and for some reason dracula can't touch it and this is not like a cross type of a thing where it's like he can't touch the crucifix otherwise he's burned he's just uh he just can't bring himself to actually touch the painting so it's kind of weird it has a supernatural kind of hold over yep and this painting pretty much factors into every issue yeah. going forward. This is, uh, it's not just a, a, a neat little part. Like, this is a major part of the story, kind of. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll be talking about that more as well as we keep going here. Okay, well, let's keep on going. Let's move on to the next issue. Issue 46 of Tomb of Dracula. It's called Let Us Be Wed in Unholy Matrimony. We have a actual marriage of Dracula and uh, Domini in the Dark Church, uh, lorded over by this leader of the cult. His name is Anton Lupeski. I don't think we mentioned that uh, yet. Um, He's also basically a main character here of these issues. I find it a little odd that she and him are just kind of taken with one another um, (laughs) in terms of especially Dracula. He kind of he seems to truly love her and he's had nothing but derision and and everything towards humanity and humans. But all of a sudden he's taken a liking to her. um, And it does seem like she is just very much part of the cult and doing what she's supposed to be doing for her leader and everything else. Yeah. But we get more character as that goes on. Uh, But anyway, so, yeah, so we get this this wedding, which. They exchange blood, it seems, um, it, it, instead of like the traditional, uh, you may now kiss the bride, they kind of cut each other's wrists and they drip each other's blood into each other. So it was real gross there. Well, in um, some vampire mythologies, that's actually how you turn a vampire into a vampire. Well. Vampire blood with the other person. That makes sense to me. But that's not what happens here. She does not turn into a vampire. And technically, aside from, I mean, the cult doesn't really realize he's a vampire and not the Dark Lord himself. So right. I'm not sure if Anton has caught on yet, but um, he does here at some point soon. 
Uh, but then we have this kind of a, a totally different story here. Uh, American Chemron Industries. So this is, they're still in Boston, by the way. Uh, we forgot to mention this. These all still take place in Boston, Massachusetts. So we're at this uh, very heavily polluting type of factory warehouse uh, situation. And uh, we have a man is murdered by like the controlling board members because he was basically going to go to the press about this stuff. And he's dumped. His body is dumped into this toxic sludge uh acid bath type of uh, slurry, which we have this amazing transformation drawn by Gene Colan. It, it melts away this this guy's facial features um, and somehow brings him back to life as just kind of a blank human. Uh, they caught, kind of refer to him as a faceless fiend. Uh, he basically then one by one, he goes around killing the people who killed him. And then he steals back his face. He takes an eye from the one. He takes uh, the nose from somebody else. And he starts putting this odd hodgepodge face like he's a human Mr. Potato Head. You know, it, it, it looks goofy. It sounds goofy, but it's also really creepy how they how they pull it off. And then at the very end, it kind of crosses paths with Dracula, where this this faceless creature steals Dracula's last, uh, next meal kind of inadvertently. And then Dracula's just super angry. But it was a barely a Dracula story. Yeah. But it was a kind of a creepy, just in general, uh, kind of a Tales from the Crypt type of uh, story. I, That's I what liked I was going to say. I thought it was good. I thought it was great too. In fact, I, this might be my favorite issue of this of this section that we're reading right okay. here. Um, okay. I really liked the concept. It just, yeah, you're right. It had nothing to do with Dracula, and he only happens upon it uh, by accident at the very mm -hmm. end. And he just watches as the creature melts. He has no business involved involved in this plot line. Or anything. It was very strange. But I did like right. this character and the way that that story was told. The corporate greed type of trope is done so much. And I mean, again, we're talking mid-70s here. You know, pollution was also all over the, the newspaper headlines and everything else at, at that time. And, uh, you know, seeing these people having to save their paychecks and everything else by killing this guy. I mean, it's just done very well for something that, you know, we've seen done so much in movies and TV and comics and everything. This was well done. I, I did enjoy it. And I think that Gene Colan really shines here, too, because we get to see this creature this yes. faceless creature as he's putting his own face back together again and just the different yeah. stages of that and how that's portrayed. The the woman when she's missing her nose is just yeah. kind of creepy and yeah, I I, uh, I really enjoyed this one. I'm glad that it was um, even if uh, it didn't have anything to do with the Dark Lord. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, page 318, 319, that's the transformation that we see of the body being washed down into this yes. and uh, kind of ragdolls through the water and stuff. But um, this, along with the captions that's written here, it's it's awesome. This was exciting. And I'll, I'll ha I have to say, recently, I've been reading some of the early issues of Erie magazine, yeah. uh, the fame, you know, the famous Warren Publishing. Gene Colan was one of the many, uh, you know, comic book artists that worked in that magazine. And he, of course, it's all black and white but he his artwork is also done with an ink wash nice it looks phenomenal i bet it does <laughs> and yeah. uh i just wanted to mention that because i mean we've always said he's a great fit for this book but you know and tom palmer does a great job but man if this was all an ink wash this would have even looked even crazier i think this transformation oh definitely there there's something about just the pure gene colon pencils that, you, mm -hmm. that that are just fantastic and then yeah you add the ink wash on there and you it gives this better sense of realism than the stark black and white inks even when you add color it's mm -hmm. just uh yeah different 
I also want to make mention of page 321. After a, a brief interlude with Hannibal King and Blade jumping to rooftops, we cut back to after the marriage of Dracula and Domini, and we see on the top of page 321 that he is using his hypnotic ability on her, and he says um, to her, I am pleased my wife Marie uh, Domini. He slips out his original, like, from what we've gathered, his original wife, his original true, true love, love, Maria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I think that must be part of his Hint, his taking his, a shine yeah. to her is that, you know, he reminds she reminds. Uh, and then, of course, the, the bottom, we have that mid transformation that we sometimes see of Dracula, where he's basically a bat human, like a man bat. Uh, I always love that because he carries her off, but he still needs to be strong enough to carry a human. Yeah, I, I always I like seeing Dracula when he's mostly a, a bat. It's and I, I love the the the, uh, the dialogue here where Dracula says, come, lovely one, we go away off on our own to a honeymoon in hell. <laughs> How has that movie not been made yet? <laughs> honeymoon in hell. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so I forgot to mention, actually, the last issue, Crossfire, mm-hmm. uh, the splash page at the beginning of that was changed when they did a Marriage of Dracula one-shot issue because uh, they took out the Blade subplot for that issue. And you can see in the bonus features at the back of this book the that the the new splash page that Gene Colan did. Oh, you know what? I, I Oh, yeah, you're right. I completely missed that. Yeah, I forgot oh, I was going to mention cool. that in the last issue. But yeah, it's cool. It was done much later. It was done in 1992. So Gene Colan's mm-hmm. style is a little bit differently. And obviously, it's not doesn't look like Tom Palmer inked it. But uh, there you but go. But it says that he did. It says that it, they got Gene Colan and Tom Palmer. Oh, I see. But you're saying about this first page. The Those page. are probably the credits for the overall story. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because they wouldn't need that part in there for this. Yeah. I think probably, I think Gene Colan inked it himself. That's very possible, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a good catch. Okay. Shall we move on to the next one? Yep. Tomb of Dracula number 47, Birthright Death. just great titles always they're so dramatic yeah (laughs) this issue i felt like this issue kind of didn't really have anything going on it was very Mm -hmm. much a filler issue with a lot of conversations of people just kind of talking back and forth um Mm -hmm. the only real notable thing here is that uh, a man infiltrates the the church uh, where Dracula and the, the cult is, and, they, and he disguises himself as a cult member and tries to assassinate, uh, well, everybody, it seems, but Dracula in particular. But uh, Dracula kills him, and it turns out that this is Domini's father. And I, I'm not sure exactly what purpose this serves. I have a feeling it ties into more with this painting of Jesus because it's it's seeming as if she's starting to get something from painting. It, it's hard to portray, I think, in just uh, what exactly is going on, but she's she's looking at it differently and she's almost getting a, um, a, a not a change of heart or anything like that. But she seems to be getting some sort of peace and calm from this painting. Because she has almost no reaction, really, to the fact that her her father was just murdered by her new husband. And for all we know, we don't know a lot about Domini, but it seems to me like she's been in this cult for quite some time. So, um, yeah, we don't we don't have a lot to go on yet. But that is a continuing kind of subplot here with this with this image of Jesus. Uh, I like to call this issue the relationships issue because it yeah, it's it it goes it follows everybody. We got Dracula and Domini. We get uh, Blade and Saffron, his girlfriend. Friend. They're kind of reunited. Uh, we see Aurora is actually going on a date with Harold. What? What is wrong with her? And then <laughs> trauma brings everyone together. Yeah, I guess. 
Uh, and it would seem that uh, Rachel is dumping Frank. Uh, so we have some up and down and, and stuff with their you know relationship that, as we said, you know nobody really cares. I will say that page 343, we get the whoopee scene. Dracula whoopee. and Domini make whoopee. Um, <laughs> yeah. In what you could do in a code-approved uh, comic where they are naked, but they're engulfed in flames or covered in flames. It's, and Dracula still wears his cape. And uh, it's just a weird <laughs> scene because it's like, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, going to, they're going to have sex, but the cult leader is there making sure it happens, and it's in front mm-hmm. of a painting of Jesus. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. This is so strange. <laughs> hey, everybody's got their kink, you yeah, know? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah yeah uh so yeah not only was this issue oh yeah i guess that's the most important part of this issue i forgot that uh, <laughs> that happened here um the other big reveal is that dracula is a vampire that this is where they find out domini and uh what's his face the guy with the mask find out that dracula mm. is indeed a vampire because he sucks the blood of domini's father that's right yep and uh and, and i believe they mentioned the the three days you know he'll be a vampire as well type of thing yeah but yeah that those final pages of this one on 348 349 in this collection you know we do get this weird you know well, especially on the last page, 349, we get these five panels um, all horizontally done. And it, it looks like Domini has this weird calm that's come over her. She's brushing her hair in the mirror and she seems like she's OK with things. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know where this is going exactly, but she doesn't seem to care that her dad's dead, though. But Yeah. So we don't really know what her goal is because she makes a few different side comments throughout these issues that like maybe she is trying to orchestrate something but she we don't know if mm. she's with dracula or against dracula really we see her looking at this painting and she goes uh, you know and you see his reflection in her pupil and she she goes let us go dracula let us go home now everything that should be done here has been done and rests now in most capable hands and i don't believe she's talking about the cult or even herself or dracula i think she's talking about jesus or you know the good side of everything so yeah. it, it's it's a little murky but she seems to be okay with the way things are going right now the other thing that I wasn't really a fan of in this issue was actually some of the artwork. There is just some, one of the more most pivotal scenes here, I just didn't understand. So if you go to page 341, this is this man with a trench coat and a shotgun comes into the building and starts shooting the cult mm-hmm. members. Okay, and that's part I can understand. Then you turn the page to 342, and I had to read this like a few times to actually figure out what was going on here. So, right. Like we see Dracula and Domini, they walk away they out of the room in these first two panels. And then the third panel has the same shaped doorway, which makes me think that it's the same doorway that they're being followed. I think that possibly it is. But then mm-hmm. what's happening in this fourth panel, the one that's in the corner here, it's like it looks like one guy is blown in yeah. half and another guy is kind of there as well. And then the next panel, it took me a long time to figure out that this guy is the same trench coat guy because he's got an orange face. I thought he was a cult <laughs> member. Yeah. And it took me I an, see that. And he took me an even longer time to realize that he's picking up the cloak of one of the guys so he can disguise himself as oh, because yeah. what was going on, he's like, I read this, I was reading this along, and then all so this guy with a shotgun comes in, and then all of a sudden a cult member starts blowing people up. And like, who is this cult member that's blowing people up? Because I missed 
to that little thing. I Gene Colan is usually great at storytelling. It's just this one mm-hmm. scene that I just did not get. It took me a long time to figure it out. Well, it's a it's a very tight page here. He's yep. got uh, what it, it's it's eight panels, but it's a lot packed into these eight panels. A lot of uh, captions as well. We get a whole flashback done in a very tiny panel narrative to how much story is being told in it. Um, And I think your two issues are a lot of it has to do, I think, with coloring, because, of course, the orange face. But that that one where the guy looks like he's cut in half, I think it's because they didn't color an explosion type color on him. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, it is. It's confusing. And they're in blue. And is uh, is the one guy running forward? Is that the guy with Mm -hmm. the with the shotgun or? Yeah, it's just. Uh, it's not obvious. Yeah. It's, it's no, a, it isn't. It's a bad choices there. So, oh well, minor complaint. It's just half of a page throughout yep. this entire book, but <laughs> it's fine. Well, that is okay because it follows up with issue forty-eight, and uh, uh, I thought this might be my favorite of this batch of uh, stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Tomb of Dracula forty-eight. September 1976. Uh, this is called A Song for Marianne. And actually, technically, they did like three titles, but we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> right. Because I do have an issue with that. But we're told the life of this woman named Marianne, uh, where she she's basically talking to us specifically about three different encounters that she's had with Dracula that's basically shaped her life up to this point. Yeah. Um, uh, she talks about in 1875, uh, apparently her dad was a pirate and boarded Dracula's ship while he was slumbering on it. And Dracula kills her dad. Well, turns him into a vampire. We find out um, she tells of uh, in 1903, she's basically been taking care of her vampire dad, keeping him from having to go kill uh, they show him chained up with garlic and she goes and has to steal blood for him and stuff. Um, but Dracula shows up to, to basically feast on her and her vampire dad protects her and ends up getting killed officially in the process there. Yeah. And then in 1926, she jumps forward there. She she gets married and then Dracula kills her husband, turns him into a vampire. And uh, they had made a vow that they would always be together, you know, because her husband then turns Marianne into a vampire. So since 1926, they've been vampires together, but they've basically get to eternally spend, you know, their 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 life together. But now, cut to modern day, which is 76. Here, uh, she's she's actually been in, in, talking to Dracula this entire time, saying that Blade has killed her husband, and she is asking Dracula to kill her because she just wants to be with him, and she has this connection with Dracula that all these moments in her life have been shaped by him um i thought that was an awesome story it, it was totally. really well done yeah it's very um, well done i really enjoyed this too and just before you move on to the next parts i want to talk yeah. about this one a little bit because they i i just love the the flashback at the beginning here with the pirates yeah. because it's so different and just uh you know this is something that we might see in the black and white magazines right and yeah. this is what I was longing for as well. It's like, yeah, these there are a few different flashbacks throughout this this section here, like I mentioned before, and this is this is the first of them. And uh, yeah, I want to know more about this Dracula uh, in this era with the, his fancy frocked cape and you know all this kind of stuff yeah he's got like a a, like a certain regalia about him um yeah i'm curious as well and i also love the fact that the the father is is chained up with these chains of garlic Mm -hmm. it just reminds me of uh in walking dead the governor has his zombie daughter 
all kind of chained up in his room there because he doesn't want to lose her, but he knows mm -hmm. that also she cannot be let out or she's dangerous and that kind of stuff. And the same thing's happening with the father. And I like that. It's like just because yeah. your your family has turned into a monster doesn't mean that you can forsake them. Like you still love them and want yeah. to try and fix that or whatever. So that's pretty well. Cool. And look at look at her quality of life. What that must have been since she was, you know, what was she like 10 on the pirate ship? And then, yeah. it, you know, you cut to now. I mean, she's had no quality of life other than taking care of. And he looks quite mad. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. Uh, he's drawn like he's a bit uh, Looney Tunes there. Well, and, I probably uh, understandable. He has because he hasn't been allowed to, to feast or anything. Yeah. Okay. So let's go on to the last few pages of this issue. You hadn't described those ones to us yet. So, yeah, so we have basically we just have two little tiny, you know, subplots. Let's touch base with our other supporting cast here. You know, we have but they give them titles. This one's called Lost One Vampire. And all it is is our vampire hunting crew is deciding that they, you know, hey, we, we should probably hunt Dracula again. You know, that's kind of kind of been our shtick and we haven't done it for a while. Frank and Harold decide to go out, find a Dracula. Rachel secretly follows them. And then it's revealed that Quincy seems to be having a heart condition. He has a bad heart. He's taking pills. Um, nobody knows this. So there's that little thing. And then we get a little two page. Again, they gave it a title doppelganger. And this is Blade and Hannibal King come up against that weird exact duplicate of Blade, except this one is a vampire version of Blade. I don't have a problem with these little things, but the issue is is the cover of this comic specifically made it a point to advertise that this is a trilogy of fear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And they put on there three tales guaranteed to send shivers up your spine. Well, that's completely false advertising. You're right. It is. Yeah. At first, I thought they were just implying the Marianne portion where she's telling these three kind of little stories. But then I see then I'm like, wait, why are there other titles in here? Also, it's there's almost only like two tales that she tells. Well, no, there's. Uh, well, no, she tells these three different moments in her life, but... Oh, yeah, I guess we, so. We, yeah, that's right. But they very oddly put titles on these other little spots with uh, the subplots, which is very awkward. So then they give it these three titles. It's very, very weird. Very weird. It, it even says on the cover, you know, Blade and Hannibal King against the minions of hell. No, it's against a vampire uh, blade. Like, it's not... I don't know, there's a lot of, a lot of bad copy on that cover. <laughs> yeah. The cover itself is cool, though, and this is the cover that uh, mm -hmm. gives us the collection cover. Mm -hmm. It looks, I think it actually looks better with the copy covering up a lot of the the background. I'm not a fan of the light blue with the gray yeah. wispy streaks there. And if you go to the back of this book in the bonus features on the very last page, we get a nice colored version of it, like a modern colored version that was used in Essential Tomb of Dracula Volume 2. Oh, yeah. And I like that. I like the uh, the depth that that one has with the red glow on the cape and the bodies and stuff. Uh, much better than the flat colors of the original mm -hmm. of the original issue. Yeah. Okay. So this is also where we say goodbye to Aurora. She is written out of the story in this issue. She's going off on her writing career, which she has stumbled into, and uh, that's it. Goodbye, Aurora. And I don't know why we say goodbye to her and not Harold, or why she <laughs> couldn't just stick around and write on the side, but she's gone for some reason. Yeah, I mean, at least at least she was easy on the eyes. We got to keep looking at this goofy <laughs> nerd guy, and he's not adding anything to the story. I don't even know. They should have both went yeah, away. I don't know why they really it's just, just her. 
Uh, I don't. I guess. I guess we'll find out when we get to the whole next spot to <laughs> or the next section to read. Maybe. Okay, but in the meantime, let's go to Tomb of Dracula number forty-nine. This one's called. And with the word, there shall come death. And I actually really like this issue, too. Uh, so we have a yeah. nice string of some good issues, except for mm-hmm. the, that one uh, relationship issue. But in this one, we're introduced to a woman who summons Dracula. It's kind of weird. She just kind of, he just disappears one day and she, he reappears in this woman's room where she also has summoned D'Artagnan, one of the musketeers, and uh, the monster of Frankenstein, and Tom Sawyer, and Indian Joe. Uh, These are all literary characters, but it appears that Dracula is the only one who's actually real. The others are actual manifestations, but he is really there. Um, like a, the real character and not they, they make he makes reference to the like oh you think I'm that character from that hack Bram Stoker's novel <laughs> that kind of thing so that's kind of cool and the the whole point of this one is that she's actually you know got some sort of psychiatric condition she's in a mental hospital and she it's all happening in her mind where she has brought in these literary characters to be her friends. Oh, Robin Hood's there too. I forgot about that. Um, yeah. And Zorro. Oh, and Zorro. That's right. Yeah. That's towards the end of it. But yeah, Zorro joins the party as well. And and these these are all her friends that she is uh, she's brought to to her to, to keep her company. But it's all in her mind. So I don't exactly know how Dracula fits into all this as well. Because did he enter her mind? Like is he did he get teleported to her mind? Because she is in a a mental hospital, and it's clear that all of this stuff at the end it's not actually happening in reality. So we this, don't really know. This is one of those stories where it is a very good story if you don't pick it apart. Because <laughs> this, and this is obviously what we do with the with the podcast. But as soon as you start picking that part apart, it, none of it makes sense at all. Right. Um. Like, why? If he's not the literary character, why would if he he have even been taken? And technically, the monster of Frankenstein in the Marvel universe is also alive and kicking. Um at this time in the in the mc or the uh the 616 universe so right you know why wasn't he there then you know there's a lot of little things where it's like wait this doesn't make any sense um and then you brought up a good point where are they going you know if they're not going to this big mansion library like it's drawn and it's all in her head then where did dracula go (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah that, that part does make sense uh, okay, so we also have um, some more continuation of the uh, the Blade story where he fights with his doppelganger and when they touch, they actually start to merge. And so they've now merged and this version of Blade is a vampire and now he's now they are one and Blade is a vampire. So that's kind of a plot point that's going to come up to play in the next few issues here. Uh, and then we also have a little bit more continuation of the, the satanic cult storyline also because Frank and Harold sneak into the church, but then uh, get discovered and they get in big trouble. Fortunately, Rachel is uh, following them and will help them out a little bit sort of in the next issue. What did you think of this vampire blade doppelganger and, and the absorbing? Uh, what are your thoughts on this at this point? Well, as I was reading, I'm like, what the heck is going on? So weird. 
But I knew also that at some point, Blade is a vampire. And I was like, is this the story where he becomes a vampire? Is this how they're going to do it? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I uh, I wasn't sure. Uh, it is it is very strange, very weird. And even when we find out why the doppelganger exists and mm-hmm. all of that, it still is very strange. And I'm not sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, can we just get back to uh, <laughs> the Dracula, you know, classic yeah. Dracula? It's like it's like yeah I I uh, at this point I'm I'm starting to wonder what I'm reading I I thought the exact same thing as you did because of course we are of the generation that our blade is Wesley Snipes and, and yeah. he is a a half vampire so knowing that you know this traditional you know, classic blade is not I was thinking oh okay maybe this is out but but then I don't know as we move forward here it just it doesn't really. I don't like the resolution of the whole thing. I, I find it all almost kind of an odd story entirely, but we're getting closer to there. Okay, we are at Tomb of Dracula, issue 50. Woo. And to commemorate the 50th issue of this comic, we get the Silver Surfer. <laughs> the most obvious of guest yeah, stars. <laughs> obviously, you know, he has that long history of fighting vampires. So we have here uh, Anton Lupeski, who's running that cult. Now, he is not a fan of Dracula. He is basically secretly plotting against him. His goal is to basically have Domini give birth to the Dark Lord's child, continue to pass it off as like Satan's child and not Dracula, in the process have Dracula killed. This way, he maintains full power over all of these followers he has yeah so in this process of him trying to figure out how do i get rid of this guy now that domini's pregnant he apparently has the ability to summon and then coerces the silver freaking surfer <laughs> to destroy dracula yeah uh you know that guy that's just chock full of the power cosmic who was able to fight back you know uh galactus uh you know a hundred times apparently anton lupeski has a little bit of power over him um <laughs> well if we get in all fairness silver yeah. surfer is not at full strength right now because this at this point in his history he's, tra- he's trapped on he's earth trapped still. on earth he's banished he doesn't have all of his cosmic power but still yes yeah. <laughs> it's still <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, uh, we we get a great like kind of chase sequence between the two characters. We get a really cool fight. Dracula throws a bunch of rats at him. That was my favorite part. As uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm an exterminator in real life, so of course I love whenever rats are attacking superheroes. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So so that was that was a really fun sequence. Uh, and and it basically you know it culminates where Surfer corners Dracula at that dark church, and then he realizes there's a connection between. Domini and that Jesus painting and he feels like this situation is already in good hands and he doesn't need to continue to do what he's doing so he leaves we get the the subplots of uh we we now have vampire blade fighting Hannibal King and Hannibal King escapes and then we show that uh you know Harold and Frank were caught by Anton at that church and we see the arrival of Rachel so you know Still making sure we we got everybody. All the all the chess pieces are are properly placed on the on the chessboard here. But um, obviously, the main point of this is the Surfer Dracula, uh, you know, kerfuffle. Couple notes on my end. I really really like Gene Colan and Tom Palmer drawing Silver Surfer. Yes, they have a very classic John Buscema look to them. Mm-hmm. I think that's very intentional, and yep. it's just uh, 
I mean, I mean, Gene Colan is a master of the human form, right? And so when you have Silver Surfer, which is basically just a naked guy, um, the the anatomy is just that <laughs> you yeah. you get to show that off really well, uh, and well, he looks and, cool. And Tom Palmer probably specifically has requested never to work on Silver Surfer because he's like, you guys really realize how much Zipatone I'm going to need? Oh man, yeah, so much Zipatone <laughs> in this, yeah. <laughs> and it's great; it really makes him look shiny. Yeah, I like it. I I really I could have definitely dug them doing a you know work on a silver surfer series now that brings me up to my my second question here so everything i read about silver surfer between the silver age and the the 19 uh late 1980s when he is finally free of earth was because he was used very sporadically because stan wanted to save that character for himself yeah um, not that he wasn't used but a lot of times i guess they had to check with stan hey stan is it all right if we put the surfer here because uh, he he that was like his favorite character that was his guy you know he really took a uh, almost like a weird ownership over that particular character so I'm curious if Marv Wolfman had to call up Stan and be like hey can I have Silver Surfer fight Dracula or if this was already like I said earlier mandated they're like hey we gotta we gotta throw a superhero in here everybody's busy yeah Surfer's doing nothing let's put him over here yeah I don't know which is the is the right scenario here it'd be interesting to ask him I should see if I can uh, I've asked Marv Wolfman for an interview a couple times but he hasn't been able to but one of these days I'll be able to do that and hopefully that'll be one of these questions because um, I think by this point Stan is pretty much involved with a lot of the the movies or TV mm-hmm. shows that are coming out and he's not really involved in the comics much at all and so I think a lot of people were staying hands off of Silver Surfer just kind of because of that was the status quo and yeah. he, he'd show up for He'd show up for, um, you know, an appearance here and there, and that was allowed. But yeah, he never had an ongoing series because of that reason. It's like, no, this is Stan's guy. Mm-hmm. We're going to just leave him alone until Steve Englehart comes along. Right. And, you know, it, I think there was some missed opportunities, but at the same point, not to get too off track here, but the with the resurgence of Surfer with uh, Englehart and then, you know, everything that came after with, uh, with you know, the 90s. I mean, he had such a, I remember Silver Surfer t-shirts in the 90s and everything yeah. else. Like it was you know, he had such a huge uh, resurgence of popularity. And it's, it is kind of weird when you think about it. It's like, wow, he was a big deal in the 60s and then nothing for over a decade, you yeah. know, probably a good 16, 17 years before he was really used again on a regular basis. And, uh, but this is a great version of him. And is if they were, I, I know they've already moved forward with the Silver Surfer collections and stuff like that, but it would have been cool if between, I know volume two of Silver Surfer, which hasn't been announced or anything yet, would include all of his 60s series. And then volume three is that Engelhart with a couple things before it. This would never have been put in the Silver Surfer Epic Collection series, this uh, this issue. It would have been cool to see all these random appearances he had in that time period where Stan had lordship over him and he couldn't be used that much. That'd be a weird, weird book. It'd be a weird book. So many creative teams, but it'd be, it'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So when Silver Surfer is summoned, even though he's summoned by the satanic cult leader, he comes Mm -hmm. out of the Jesus painting. Yes. And Silver Surfer has always had this analogy, like this Messiah analogy going along with his character. And so I like that they play up kind of that illusion or those parallels. Yeah, the the Christ allegory. He's often been associated. And there's a lot of that in just this issue alone. Mm Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, I mentioned that uh, Dom and I make some of these weird comments and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He, her her dialogue here is, I won't allow you to hurt my husband. He is mine. 
And Sur Surfer says, but you are a good woman. Don't you know what he is? And she says, I know, and I know what he's doing, and I know what will happen in the end. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and this is something that I think she she says a couple of times, is that she has some sort of foreknowledge or is prophetic in a way that yep. uh, she knows what's going to happen. She says, you need not punish him for what he is, believe me. And then Surfer oh, looks at the is. Jesus painting, is like, oh, okay, I see whose side you're on here. I get yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I actually did kind of like that as an ending to uh, to their their uh, skirmish here. But if you notice, once again, we see that same image of the Jesus painting reflecting in Domini's eye. So it's starting to become apparent that you know clearly something more is going on here on the on the good side of things. Yeah. But we're still we're we're still left in the dark. Yeah, we're still a few issues away from that. Those answers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, next is Dracula number fifty one. Finally, it looks like Dracula is going to face off against Blade. Uh, this one's called The Wildest Party. And finally, so the whole Silver Surfer thing, if you take out that entire story, doesn't matter. It, we, are, mm -hmm. we are plunked right back into the middle of the drama here where, where uh, Frank Her and Harold, and this is sort of comic timing is weird because I think over the course of these last few issues, I think multiple days must pass. And we're to assume that by the end of this book, 12 months have passed. But the story with Blade and Hannibal King happens in such small increments that it's pretty much... Hap it, that story kind of happens all in one day, but it's spread over these whole issues. It's, it's The timeline is weird because um, a lot of time passes during the Dracula stuff, but very little time happens during the Blade stuff. But they still happen to meet up here at the same time. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Am I making sense of how I'm explaining this? You are making as much sense as this... This issue made sense to me. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> I found this issue to have a lot going on. So I was very happy when I did my count that you were the one to do the <laughs> okay. synopsis. Okay. Well, let me, let me do my best here. Yeah. Basically, Rachel saves Frank and Harold in um, a very undramatic way. They just kind of walk out, which is, you know, we were hoping for a little bit more of a fight or something like that. But yeah, um, they walk out, find Quincy Harker on the on the ground. He's having some problems. They sh ship him off to the to the hospital. Meanwhile, there's this big gala because I guess the 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 cult is raising money from their rich cult members for something. We don't really, I don't know if they ever really say what they're raising money for, but uh, they're all kind of in this one place at, at the same time. But also, that doesn't matter. It's totally pointless because the actual focus is on this battle between Blade and Hannibal King. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and they're, they're fighting each other uh, because it's the doppelganger blade and so he's like fighting for his life and they happen to stumble into this gala event just randomly and there <laughs> happens to be Dracula and he's like hey that's blade I'm gonna kill him and they had to try to have a fight <laughs> and it's like the other weird happenstance is that Deacon Frost happens to be at that gala too. It's just like kind of like what the, all of these elements are coming together randomly and not yeah, it's, organically. It's not. Yeah, it's kind of a clumsy way that everything falls into it's place. It's very here. clumsy, and it's like this. After a couple of solid issues, we get a silver the Silver Surfer issue, and now this one is like. It's so uneven, the pacing of all of these issues. I just don't get yeah. it. Well, the uh, that gala that's going on here, um, this is clearly this cult isn't just some, you know, some guys getting together so that they have an excuse to to drink, you know, on the weekends or something. Yeah. This, this seems to be a pretty big deal because they explain on here, they go, 
Um, uh, let's see. Another part of Boston where the rich and powerful congregate at a fundraising party. Money's being collected not for charity, but for the creation of a new order, a religion with a new messiah at its helm. Um, if everyone here at this party, they, they either are not aware that that's what they're doing a fundraising for, that it was supposed to be for charity, or, and this is what I like to believe, is that they are very high-ranking members of society that are also part of this cult. That's and, what I and, thought and, that it was. Yeah, and that makes it that much creepier because then it's you know then they're, they're all like integrated into society not just a bunch of you know weirdos in hoods and um, that reminds me of like rosemary's baby have you seen that movie uh no i actually have not seen oh that. man josh you gotta watch that movie this I know. halloween okay go go I'm, and get that one right away i know i'm, I'm the worst curtis <laughs> I, I should i should have seen that by now and i it's funny all my friends because i i worked at blockbuster for you know uh, about three years as they were closing up but i watched that's what I do is I watch movies, but that was just never in stock. So I was never able to watch. Huh. Well, um, that's one of the movies I think that really influenced the era of, of uh, like we were talking with the, with the movies just about demonic cults and stuff, mm-hmm, that one mm-hmm. and like the omen and, and that kind of stuff is yeah. it's like that, that is reflected here in these stories. You can, I, there's a lot of kind of Rosemary babyish uh, parallels mm-hmm. in these Dracula issues. I will definitely watch it um, for sure, uh, especially considering that there are yeah parallels. Did you notice on page four ten when they show the the gala? Is that Stan? Is that supposed to be Stan Lee? Because that looks like seventy Stan Lee with the the hair piece and the 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 goatee. Oh yeah, you're right. I think it is. Yep, on, <laughs> on four ten with the cigar. Yep. Yeah, it, I think it does look like Stan. You're right. <laughs> So I thought I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, oh, also here on the same page as yep. Dracula and Domini are walking into the the gala event, you can clearly see that Domini is pregnant, like very pregnant. She's, she's very pregnant. She's very like probably late second trimester, if not third trimester at this point, which is why I'm saying the timeline of this is very weird because she wasn't pregnant like two issues ago when they were making Whoopi and. <laughs> They were just yeah the, the whoopee issue yeah the whoopee issue and Blade was just on the trail of this doppelganger like I think they just found the doppelganger and now yeah. they're like they're still fighting the doppelganger and it's been like six months later yeah. well and, and I was going to ask you because I'm not a fit you know I, I wasn't actually tracking this pregnancy but there's no way this is a normal nine months I don't know if they were planning it originally to be that way but the subplots make it so that there's no way that's the case yeah so this must be an accelerated pregnancy. And which is totally fine because we are dealing with some supernatural stuff here so that but it's never ex, you know expressed yeah they don't say such. that but we also they never say any sort of dates in any of this we don't know what sense of the, the time of year any yep. of this is taking place we only know that the birth is going to happen on christmas day yeah but we don't right. know how far away that is and because they don't make mention of her you know accelerated pregnancy i i don't think we cannot believe that it is an accelerated pregnancy i think it's just supposed to be normal well that doesn't track then if that's no, the case it doesn't exactly <laughs> that means there's been several months of just bladed hannibal king just holed up in hotel rooms and, <laughs> yeah just you fighting know. fighting the yeah, doppelganger just... <laughs> for two months <laughs> yeah exactly um two real quick little things here on page 407 at top uh rachel fires her crossbow and it, it you know gets it into dracula we get a quick shot of his bat cufflink. Now we don't always see those, but it's a really fun little detail that Gene throws in there. That this guy, aside from all of his regular pompousness and uh, arrogance, he he likes to coordinate. He's got little bat cufflinks, <laughs> and I, I love that we see that there. And then page four eighteen, uh, we get 
you know, apparently Rachel loves Frank again. Like, what the heck is going on here? Like, why are we even bothering? Ross and Rachel. Oh, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Uh, at least the Ross and Rachel thing was a little entertaining. This is, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is just, it, it's odd. Like, it's not like I like soap opera stuff in comics. You know, so of course, you know, you know, throughout the 60s, Spider-Man, that's what it was all about. Um, I think it's almost like just being put in here, but it's not like interesting because we don't like either of these together or even in a relationship i actually miss taj like where is he no kidding. i wish he was back in this taj, yeah me too uh, the problem with with this is that this is the literally the only thing we have going for these two characters right now yeah because they are not actively vampire hunters i mean they 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 say they are and they kind of walk around and go places to try and find dracula but they're not like doing the detective work or whatever like they did in the old days. They're not yeah. looking, uh, you know, doing the police scanners and the newspapers or whatever. They're not doing any of that. They just kind of, they just kind of exist. And so yeah. this relationship is the only bit of personality that they have, and it's terrible. So they like Marv, Marv yeah. Wolfman is trying to cram it into every issue. But it's like, let's just forget about it. I know. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I get, like, their goal. Like, you know, we have to get after Dracula. Yeah, that's that's good. But they could show them having these relationship moments as they're killing other lesser vampires. Like, that would yeah. be a fun way to do it. You know, they're, they're you know, talking relationship as there's, you know, I think that'd be way better than just this. Yep, yep. But. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, yeah. We'll see how that shapes up. <laughs> All right. We are on Tomb of Dracula 50. Two. Uh, this is January 1977, so we are officially into 77 now. Uh, this is called Demons in the Mind. Uh, at the at the end of last issue, the vampire blade combined creature, whatever you want to call it, he was officially killed by Dracula with a stabbing. So this issue opens up with our vampire hunters burying him with a grieving saffron. Um, you know, she's got the uh, the veil and everything, and they are lowering the casket of this blade, you know, into the ground and everything. So it's kind of a dour note. So as far as the Blade story goes, there's that going on. We have Dracula that is startled by something, um, something that he has had seen in the past. We don't see it, but he's kind of freaked out by it. And he, he remembers when he, uh, here's another one of your flashbacks that you like. We, yep. we see him, um, he says it was centuries ago when he was the, the ruler of a small province in Spain. Yeah. And uh, so he's got a little bit different regalia on it for this one, as opposed to the, the last flashback. But he ran into this this weird presence or or character that is always off panel. We don't see him. And so he he's a little shook, Dracula is. So he does what I've actually kind of been waiting to see uh, in this series, where he goes to see a Dracula movie playing at a local theater. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. I love it. And he, he just sits and he's watching and he's not worrying about all the humans in there and stuff. He's just trying to kind of get away from it. Well, that doesn't go over too well. He gets annoyed and he kills a woman. It's actually kind of ferocious how they draw it. They, it's drawn here. Causes a panic. Everybody leave, you know, runs out of the theater and um, yeah, Dracula's left there. He's like, damn my temper. I didn't want any violence tonight. It's like, oh yeah, darn. I just wanted to watch uh, the movie and yeah, I just wanted to watch this movie. But now we're introduced to this uh, kind of a mysterious uh, golden figure. It's a white hair, golden skin. Um, he's initially in a trench coat, and then he doffs that to showcase that he's wearing some manner of tights, and he's glowing very, very bright. This entire time, Dracula is referring to him as a demon. 
And they have a seven page fight with the two of them going back and forth, you know, yelling at each other, fighting. Um, Nobody is getting the better of the other person. And it's revealed that this mysterious figure is not a demon because Dracula keeps thinking, oh, this is Satan sending one of his agents after me because I'm getting too powerful. It is alluding to the fact that this guy is an angel or an agent of Jesus of some sort, or maybe Jesus himself. They don't they don't nail it on the head. They don't explicitly say no. They don't. But he is apparently, you know, something to do with that. And, and you know, at the very end, he's you know, Dracula figures it out because once again, the Jesus painting is is staring at, at Dracula here and he kind of gets the idea. But um, what do you think of this issue? Uh, I thought it was, again, a really Marvel Universe type of a of a of a story here and even this angel is dressed in a very Marvel Universe type of a costume. Yeah. I mean, it's to disguise the fact that he's an angel or whatever. They don't want to make that obvious. But, man, you you were like, and they fight for seven pages. And I'm like, yeah, that was a really long fight. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I was just kind of like skipping through it. Um, I don't know. Underwhelmed was how I felt about this. There's just some weird art choices as well. And it's like, I liked the beginning when it was kind of hinting at some cool things with his past mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I kind of felt like a lot of this was filler when they get into their fight it's like like you said seven pages but they're big panels so i feel like maybe gene colon was possibly rushing a little bit there's not a whole lot of backgrounds in some of them and then marv wolfman fills a lot of that space with dialogue that is unnecessary and so i didn't feel like reading it yeah and i don't usually have that case with this book i usually read all the dialogue and i like it but i didn't like it in this issue well because i think I think it's it's pretty apparent that he's not a demon and and we're running with that for quite a while where, okay, you know, we have the page after page of him calling him a demon. And I think we already kind of guessed that that's not the case here. In issue 54, this mysterious creature is referred to as a golden angel. But in this particular issue, there is no reference exactly. Um, a couple things on, on my end here. Um, the cover shows them on this roller coaster and it's called the Cyclone. And I was like, Cyclone is the famous roller coaster at Coney Island. They're supposed to be in Boston. Oh, yeah, there you go. But I Googled it, okay. and there there is a famous roller coaster uh, at Revere Beach, which is in Revere, Massachusetts, called the Cyclone. There you go. Um, uh, but uh, I, I don't know if it was still operating at this time. Uh, from what I read <laughs> on Wikipedia, it said it was only going until 1969. So yeah. a little fast and loose with that. If that's what they were going for, you know, it's hard to say. They could have just done that. Um, but I really, really liked Dracula going to see the movie. And I like, I think it was, did you ever see the movie, The Monster Squad? No. Uh, I think 86. Oh, okay. Well, now we're even for the Rosemary's Baby thing. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to watch that movie. It okay. is such a classic 80s uh, movie where the kids know what's going on in town and the adults have no idea. Um, it's that it's that classic type of thing. But there's a part where Dracula is walking past a store and he sees like, you know, these toys and these, you know, various, you know, goofy things for Dracula for Halloween and he just has this look of disgust on his face. That's what that kind of reminded me of because it's just such a such a cool, uh, you know, this guy's been around forever and he became a legend in his own time because he's immortal, of course. So yeah, I I just I just thought that was cool. I like that. But uh, anyway, ultimately, I don't understand what the point of this angel showing up was. Well, we're going to find out the point in a couple of issues here. Okay, but uh, yeah, it seems kind of weird, but it's going to be revealed in two issues so let's uh let's keep on going tomb of dracula 
number 53, The Final Glory of Deacon Frost. Here we get some resolution, finally, to the long-running story with Blade, the Vampire Slayer. Blade is dead. He was killed, and he's buried, and they are like, how are we going to fix this? I think I have an idea. So Hannibal King contacts Damien Hellstrom of the Defenders. I think he's on the Defenders at this point, or maybe he's already left the Defenders. This is um, the tail end of his solo series, uh, right before he's on the defenders for a while okay right because he's in the defenders in the early 80s yeah he's not on for very long late 70s early 80s before the x-factor team uh joins the the defenders Uh, but anyway so damien hellstrom is he is called the son of satan so if anybody is going to be involved in a story that involves a satanic cult it seems like this guy would be the perfect fit. Unfortunately, he doesn't really have anything to do with Dracula in this issue. He manages to separate the doppelganger from Blade, and so now Blade is himself again. And that's it. That's his whole purpose. Then he leaves. And I was like, oh, man, I kind of wanted him to be in the whole (laughs) issue. Yep. But anyway, so now Blade is back, and he and Hannibal King are able to infiltrate the lair of Deacon Frost, and they find out that he has weird powers. We get a flashback story. Now, this is interesting because he is not a vampire because he was sired by a vampire. He is a vampire because he accidentally got injected with vampire blood, which is what I was saying when you mix the blood. Some mm-hmm. mythologies are when you mix the blood, you become a vampire. That's what happened to him. But he was trying to synthesize a, a cure for vampires, right? That's what his goal was at the beginning. Mm. Um, or not really a cure, but like how to gain immortality like a vampire does, but not be a vampire. But anyway, so he has, he ha- it's, a, it's a synthesis of a couple of things. It's not a pure vampire blood that he gets injected with. So when he gets injected by it, he does become a vampire, but he also gets the ability to create a doppelganger of any person that he turns into a vampire. Now, this is where I'm not clear. What did he do to... He killed Blade's mom while Blade was still in his mom, right? Like, before Blade was born. He was in utero. Yeah, I believe so, yes. And so that's why he has the the ability to create Blade clones, because of something like that. I don't know. (laughs) But also, he's, he's the one who turned Hannibal King into a vampire so he can create mm-hmm. Hannibal King clones. And so we have a whole bunch of King clones and we whole, have a whole bunch of Blade clones and they all have a big battle. And in the end, Deacon Frost ends up exploding in a computer in a computer explosion, kind of like how Dr. Sun went out. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. That's not, our whole story. <laughs> I was not happy with this. I loved, loved seeing Son of Satan. I thought that was great. I think yeah. he's always, he, he's got such an awesome look. I've always liked it. I like the red and yellow. It's It's, it's a good, I, I've always liked the character. I just, you know, I, I don't think he, he didn't get very far outside of the eight, uh, the 70s and um, in any substantial way anyway. I, I like that original vibe of him. Um, and he splits, they, they resurrect Blade, Vampire Blade, and they resurrect him from regular Blade. And then they're able to kill that doppelganger Blade. Yeah, and then, you, like you said, he, then, then he's like, okay, I gotta go. <laughs> it's like, you, you guys definitely couldn't use my help later, so I'm gonna get out of here. We got a whole uh, issue with Silver Surfer. Like a full <laughs> 20, whatever, pages but we only get one scene with son of satan in a book that is heavily dealing with a satanic cult right exactly we have had this subplot of this deacon frost mysterious silver-haired vampire rolling through this book for on and off about 15 to 20 issues it's been quite some time actually over 
20 issues. Well, it's, it's, it goes all the way back to Blade's very first appearance because he was always being after this silver-haired yes. vampire. Always. That's, that's, that's right. So I guess because of that, and I'm binge reading this, so I, I'm constantly getting reminded of this thing. I was really expecting something other than I didn't mind Deacon Frost's origin, but I found this idea that he then can just create <laughs> doppelgangers. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really weird and out of left field completely. Yeah. It is. Didn't make any sense there. And then during their showdown, he's like brandishing a jar of deadly fungus. And that came as <laughs> like, what? You're a vampire. I thought you were a vampire. What, what's the deal with the fungus? And then the explosion. And then it's like, okay. <laughs> I just I just felt really very underwhelmed on this thing. And it was a really weird way to end the Deacon. I would have preferred Deacon Frost getting away here. I, 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 I don't know. This was weird to me that yeah. this is what this all led up to. Well, um, I know that the and- deadly fungus comes out of left field and it seems weird, but I think it's to tie in the fact that he is actually a very accomplished chemist. And so he has these weird mixtures and compounds that he's making. And that's kind of what that's there for. But you're right. It's weird. And the way he says it, it's like, don't follow me unless you wish me to unleash this jar of deadly fungus, which yeah. will rot the flesh like, from your bones. <laughs> yeah. It's like he just became like some weird, you know, old man just yelling about stuff. And it was like, OK, this I, he, he, he lost so much credibility with me as got such a cool name you know steven dorf played him in the movie like yeah. come on let, let's see something you know you know that deacon frost he it had something to do with that blood god and he became that creature i was thinking i wasn't thinking that was going to happen here but i just figured it'd be more than just him shaking a jar of deadly fungus at people that was really weird wasn't it well and we also don't really know his end game as well i mean i guess he's just creating these doppelgangers so that these two won't kill him i guess but he has no evil plan or he's not actually uh, a, a mastermind or or anything like that he has no purpose he's just running away from blade yeah I, it's i just yeah yeah um <laughs> all so, we can say is thank goodness that story is over i i guess yeah i mean uh, like i said i loved i love son of satan guest star there especially because it was completely not announced like they didn't have it on the cover or anything like yeah. that. He was just there. I was like, oh, that's cool. I did really, really like the end of the issue uh, page on page 459 of this collection, the second panel where Blade and Hannibal King are saying their goodbyes. That whole exchange between these two, I loved. I thought that was awesome. Me too. Um, they have this like this respect of one another. They're like, basically, you could see these guys teaming up again in the future, like they're buddies now. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed that. And um, is Hannibal King, is that who Ryan Reynolds plays? In the movies? Yeah, it was a version of uh, Hannibal King. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. I don't I don't know <laughs> if we see him again in this series or not, but uh, yeah, I don't. I was really let down by that Deacon Frost, where that all ended up. Yep. It was really bizarre to me. Oh, man, yeah, there's just a series of missteps uh, yeah. through these all of these issues. I just don't get it and because it started off so strong and it's the same creative team. It's like they just... Mm-hmm. They ran out of ideas or they wanted to take it in a different direction and they didn't. I just hope that because we have, you know, another 15 or so issues before the series wraps that uh, we get, I don't know, a good solid conclusion to this series. I'm kind of not, I... I'm dreading <laughs> issue of volume five here. I know, I, I, I know I'm the same way. I'm like, 
there's been so many great things. And there's been multiple times where both of us have said, you know, well, I can see why this is considered a, a fan favorite yes. series. And, yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, the, w- there's some cringy moments in this uh, reading of volume four here. And it's like, ah, man, how does this all wrap up? You know? Well, okay, let us move on. And here's the fun part. None of uh, the listeners realize this, but you and I recorded this last Christmas Eve, and you're just going to splice it in later, right? Because we were in a, <laughs> this is a Christmas issue, and we wanted to do this at Christmas time, remember? That's right, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Tuba Dracula number 54, uh, the title is Twas the Night Before Christmas, and we have... Um, Basically, the culmination of everything going on here with Dracula and Domini and the pregnancy, uh, Dracula is making the final preps for his son's birth, and Domini is requesting that it be done beneath that painting of Jesus. A little odd, but okay. Yes. We see that Quincy is recovering from that heart attack that he had, and he's talking to his vampire hunter team saying that, uh, you know, they're basically comparing notes and they've all heard the same thing, that there is a pending birth of Dracula's son and they they use a really cool term because it's being done in a sort of blasphemous parody of Christ's own birth. I, I like that wording. That was that was yeah. really neat. And they kind of once again uh, resolve themselves, okay, guess what? We got to kill Dracula, guys. It's like, come on. We know. Like <laughs> they keep they keep having to remind each other what they do for a living. This time so, for real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like no fool in this time, all right? Come on. We really mean um, business this time. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually get help like secret help from anton lupeski that kind of they attempt to kill dracula but because lupeski wants them to kill yes. dracula so he can rise to power yeah he can rise to power he's got everything he needed which is this this child but dracula just won't die yeah he just won't <laughs> he just won't so the child is born and because of the moment and everybody's kind of taken up in that moment uh the vampire hunters they let dracula go to be with his family um it's it's officially christmas now and yeah i guess they have a soft spot here but the child we see the baby is gold skinned and red eyed the same as that bizarre golden angel mm-hmm. character that's right so i think dracula needs to go on mori and demand a paternity <laughs> test yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> You are not the father. Yeah. I need to know what's going on here. Yeah, and we don't actually get to see um, the golden guy's ears because he's got this 1970s haircut that uh, covers it up. So, But we yep. don't know if he's got the pointy ears as well. But I think it's pretty obvious that Domini probably was making Whoopi with the painting rather than with Dracula. Which <laughs> is, <laughs> you're putting it like that, man. It's such a weird, you made it even weirder than what I was thinking. <laughs> Um, I don't know if it's because uh, because we don't know if, if if the angel character had pointy ears, but we know Dracula and the baby does. Right. Yeah. So my thought was this is Dracula's son, but he has been tainted with the light of good because of the painting, because of potentially that angel. I don't know. I don't know um, either. This is something only Maury could really figure out for us. I think. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> or um, Jerry Springer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, boy. I liked in the very beginning, uh, the credits are done with a little Christmas font. I thought that was a, a nice little touch. Yeah. Um, little, almost like a little calligraphy looking uh, look to it. I really actually liked all of the art through this one issue. I I felt like, uh, like I said, in the, in the Golden Boy issue, they... Uh, I felt like it was kind of rushed and that kind of stuff. But this issue, I really feel like they spent a lot of time on. Like they knew that it was going to be 
a benchmark issue or story in in this saga that they're saying because yeah. uh, all of the, the the renderings of these characters are really great and I, I especially like page 466 and 467 where the trio of men are lounging mm-hmm. in, in a room with their big oh, yeah. sweaters and and yeah. there's the zipatone on half of Frank's face to to show a shadow there, and and yeah, just all good. of all of the snow in all of these panels as well. Snow is a hard thing to do when you're just drawing it with pen and ink, because either you get too much and it looks like a blizzard, or you don't get mm-hmm. enough and it doesn't really accurately show that it's snow. But this, I think, you've got the right balance of just these big fat snowflakes in the scene here. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of times they they would do the trick, at least you know maybe more into the 80s and 90s where it was like a uh, like an overlay that they peeled away and it left kind of white blotches yeah all over uh, I, I, I seem to recall Ron friends showing something on his Facebook about uh, a spider-man scene that he had and you know that seemed a lot less time consuming than this because then the, yeah you'd you have know, to like gotta in, worry about yeah all the circles and everything in Korea yeah yeah, yeah def- definitely I liked how the group all gets together so on page 468 we have up at the top we have everybody in that panel including Saint which is Quincy's dog and I like that they bring Saint with them I it's didn't even little, notice that it's a little it's a little Scooby-Doo-ish. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of, you know, I had I had that kind of in my head, but it's just, I like animal sidekicks, you know, as a, as a child of the 80s, you know, how, look how many G.I. Joes had, had animal sidekicks and it's yeah. just, I don't know, it's just a cool thing. So it was cool that Saint got in on the fight, even though he got thrown pretty far away in page 477. Yeah. Uh, Dracula just throws him super far, but yeah, I like that they brought the dog. It's like, you know what? Take the dog. Get him, get him out of the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then also on page 471, just a little note, the third panel shows Dracula. He's using his hypnotic powers, but there's a coloring error where if you're not really paying attention, you don't realize he's doing that red flash of his eyes that they've shown in previous issues. Right. Yeah. And he's, toned. he's yeah, he's making Anton tie up uh, Rachel and uh, kind of against his will or whatever. But yeah. yeah, you don't really if you're just reading it quick, you don't realize that he's using his power there. So that was uh, I had to kind of look at that a couple times. Like, why does it look like his skin is melting? It's like, oh, wait, that's a (laughs) coloring error. Right. Oh, wow. But I thought this was a really good way to end this particular volume. Like it was, a, it, it, it culminated most of these plot points, except for the Anton thing, because he didn't really, I don't think he's really been found out yet by Dracula that he's against him and everything else. So I am as much as... <laughs> much as we had some laughs with this one i am intrigued to see where the heck they're going with now that there's a baby involved i think that uh hopefully they'll be able to resolve it in a few issues and then just kind of go on to the next thing but i have a feeling that now that there's a baby in the picture that it'll probably stick around for a whole lot lot of time so uh, those of you who have read tomb of dracula already and are laughing at us because like ah you have no idea what's going to happen here yeah uh (laughs) I don't know. I'm just, I'm still holding out hope that they'll be able to bring the whole series kind of back to the feeling that we had uh, in like the, the issues 20 and 30 kind of era of, mm-hmm. uh, of just really cool monster vampire stories. Yeah, yeah, I think we definitely need that. I think we need some stakes again as well. Um, pardon the pun. That did <laughs> not, that didn't mean it that way, but yeah. we had that, that that horrifying story of Taj having to take care of his own vampire son, and we had... So good. Um, yeah, oh yeah. I, 
I think we've had enough things here where people die, but they come right back. The whole Frank Rachel storyline. I mean, they got to they got to figure that out, either move on from that or something drastic has to happen. And again, like you said, there's probably people that are like, oh, well, just buckle up. But because we haven't read it. I don't know about you, but I'm about Dracula it out now. So we won't be. <laughs> yeah. and we're, we're probably not touching volume five until next Halloween anyway. That's so. right. Yep. <laughs> I'll take my break from Tomb of Dracula for a while. Exactly. Well, and then we'll have to be like, oh, yeah. yeah. What? The, the baby? <laughs> yeah, right? I know. I know. That's, oh, uh, yeah. That's good stuff, though. I Overall, I've, I I am digging the series as a whole. I yeah. really do like it. Um, I know we kind of take these year breaks in our personal reading of the of the story, but um, there was a lot of good in here. It's just, I think, I think at times there's just too much going on, and I, I it's almost like there's not enough room for the subplots. The subplots are so big that they they are all main plots. And so, but then they're not big enough to be main plots. So all of the main plots are subplots. Like I said, there's no real focus because we had such a big focus on Blade and such a big focus on Dracula that it really split apart the the focus of this book. So that we mm-hmm. that both Dracula was taking a back seat and Blade wasn't enough in the forefront to make it his own title either. Right. So it's like, what are we reading here? I'm hoping that, yeah, this next volume will have Dracula being more Dracula. Yeah, and I like that we follow this group of vampire hunters. I've always thought that was a lot of fun. But I think that some, something's got to happen with those guys. Something needs to happen. They did a lot of sitting around, hanging out. Again, not really having too much to worry about. And I don't know, just get out there and kill vampires in your downtime. You know, you don't yep. have to. There's still plenty of people probably getting killed by other vampires. It's not just all Dracula. So, well, yeah, it's Morbius is out there around this time now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, you know, stay away from your jars of deadly fungus. That we, we learned the valuable lesson we learned from this. That's right. Yeah. If there's one takeaway. <laughs> yeah, one takeaway, that's it. Jars of deadly fungus. And bad. don't touch your doppelganger if you come across it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that could be a euphemism for something there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. That painting of Jesus is always watching. <laughs> While you touch your doppelganger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep, yep. All right, folks. I guess we're getting a little punchy here. There we go. Good night, everybody. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. See you.